Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was towards the end of February that Ukraine's President Zelensky put out a call to the world. To all the friends of Ukraine who want to join the defense, come, we will give you weapons. So far, many have answered that call. One of the bloodiest wars in Europe since World War II is drawing thousands of foreigners to join the fight. But why are they joining? What do they hope to achieve and contribute? And more importantly, what consequences could they face if they return home? There is still a lot of confusion in England as to whether it is legal or illegal to go out to Ukraine and actually partake in uniform warfare. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald. Today, Ukraine's foreign legions. As people have travelled to Ukraine to answer President Zelensky's call, the Times has been following one man, Shane Matthew. When Shane left the UK, a video team from the Times travelled with him to document his journey. Do you want to just tell me um, what you're about to do? Uh, basically, we're going to fly out to Warsaw, um, head over to the Ukrainian border, um, meet up with someone from the Ukrainian government, and then I am heading over to, hopefully, Kiev to provide medical assistance to any casualties coming out of the conflict area. You'll be hearing Shane in his own words throughout this episode. My colleague Larissa Brown, the Times defence editor, tells us a bit about him. He was a sniper in the British Army. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he basically heard about the fact that Ukraine were asking for more people to go out and help them fight the Russians. I saw what was going on and thought my experience and my expertise in the field would be quite useful out there. And I've got friends out there who told me that it would be appreciated. So that's why I'm heading out. Shane then basically decided that he was going to go himself, that he had the skills, that he was able to help the Ukrainians and also heard comments by Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, when she said that she would support Britons going out to the country. President Zelensky has asked for people from abroad to, to join an, an international force. Would you support that? I do support that. And of course, uh, that is something that people can make their own decisions about. If people want to support that struggle, I would support them in doing that. And so he made the journey there and we went with him. We have just left the airport at Warsaw and we are currently 
in a van on a road move over to the Polish-Ukrainian border to meet up with our contact to get us across the border, hopefully. How long will it take roughly? The entire journey to the border is, I think it's about four hours. So it's very easy to fly into Poland and then make the way a few hours by car to the border with Ukraine. From there, they're obviously crossing the border and then heading into places like Lviv, the uh, city that we've heard so much about on the western side of Ukraine. So it's not, not as tricky to get to as other places. To what extent is he able to transfer those skills to the conflict in Ukraine? Does it feel like his experience in Iraq and Afghanistan is going to serve him well? He served two tours of Afghanistan uh, quite a while ago now, in 2008 and 2009, and he was serving with the Princess of Wales Royal Regiment. And there he will have obviously learnt many skills, including you know, medical skills, and that's actually what he's been helping people with in Ukraine at the moment. I am still a sniper. I do have a sniper rifle um, with me and a sidearm, um, but I felt that I could make more of a difference by training enormous numbers of troops in battlefield first aid and um, bearing in mind none of them have any of those skills um, so far we've trained around about 500 people um, so if those 500 people between them can save five or six lives it's a damn sight better than me taking a few um, the, the difference will be much better um, and in respect of injuries it's it's blast injuries it's tension pneumothorax it's limbs loss shrapnel wounds um, concussion um, and those in the miners, obviously, with the artillery that's being fired, um, people are literally being blown to pieces. And of course, as well, he will be a very good shot. He talked about looking through his rifle scope at Russian forces just a few hundred metres away. And so he's got more to bring than just the lethal weapon skills, but also tactics, you know, medical skills, as I've described, and also things like logistics and planning. He'll obviously have an idea of how Ukrainian forces should be operating there. And just at this starting out point, Larissa, to what extent are skills transferable between the armies of different countries? You know, how easily does a UK soldier slot into a Ukrainian military operation? Well, they'll probably have different ways of doing things to some extent. But actually, over the last few years, the Ukrainian forces have been trained up to NATO standards. So British soldiers have already trained about 20,000 Ukrainian soldiers over the last few years. Some of those skills will actually be the same and they will be operating in similar ways. When we consider what Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, said a few weeks ago, which was, if not an encouragement, certainly a seeming endorsement of the idea of anyone uh, who fancied it going to Ukraine to fight. Was that a call to arms? Do we know how many people have actually gone? We don't know how many people have actually gone. We, we had a rough idea. We heard originally after Liz Truss's statement that 150 former paratroopers had all said that they wanted to go out there. We're not clear exactly how many of those then crossed the border, but there's been lots of suggestion that quite a lot of ex Special Forces soldiers have actually made it across and are operating in different parts of the country. And they're either members of the Foreign Legion, as it's become known in Ukraine, or they're also carrying out security roles. So, for example, offering to provide security for Ukrainian MPs, for example. So there's quite a lot of different roles that people can actually take on. And in the case of Shane, he's actually gone out there on his own back. He's a volunteer, but he's a volunteer that's operating in an independent capacity. So he isn't actually part of that Foreign Legion. So you mentioned the Foreign Legion, you mentioned people like Shane, who's got experience and is volunteering. Is everyone who is 
gone to Ukraine and who has ended up there, have they all got military experience or are there some people who are just being quite gung-ho and, and think that, you know, they can be part of this fight too? People have been coming out here for the wrong reasons. Um, multitude, really. Glory hunting. Um, some guys that served in the army that have left since and didn't get any combat experience seem to think that this is a good way to get it. I've seen interviews with people who are working in offices and bored and obviously want to die very quickly, so they're coming out here to fight. Um, there's, there's a whole host of wrong reasons, um, but I think my reason's correct. Back to the first aid side of things, you know, um, innocent civilians are being injured, killed, uh, murdered, if you like, and I'm going out to provide medical assistance to help with that. I think a lot of people wanted to go even if they didn't have military experience. And actually, I've been told that the Ukrainian military is actually quite strict about that. Somebody did mention to me that actually to get across the border and to join one of these groups, there's a, a main contact point in the west uh, near Lviv. And to sign up, basically, they do have to have military experience. In terms of the wider security roles, the Ukrainian MPs, I'm told, are asking for people to either be a former member of the British Special Forces or to have served over a decade in roles such as the Parachute Regiment. So they are wanting people with skills that can actually fire a weapon and don't need to be taught all of those things. I suppose the point of that is that actually if you don't have relevant experience and knowledge and expertise, that actually you just you become a problem, you get in the way. Of course, and they don't want to be handing out weapons to people that have no idea what they're actually doing. And of course, they've already got their territorial defence force, which is made up of civilians that they are training. And I think if they just ended up with loads of British guys that fancy joining a war that don't know how to actually operate on the battlefield, then yes, I think it could cause a lot of problems for their military operations and just make things a bit more trickier for them. What have the British Army, what's it told soldiers, reservists about joining the conflict, those who are kind of in the world of active service, I suppose? After Liz Truss's comments, it caused quite a lot of confusion. So the Ministry of Defence, shortly after those comments, really didn't know how to respond because obviously what she said was against Foreign Office advice, which is to not travel to the country. But also there's concern that if people do go out there, then the Russians could use that as a reason to then hit out at Britain because this whole idea that Liz Truss and, and the British government might be suggesting that people should go out there to pick up arms could be considered quite remarkable from the sort of Russian perspective and quite an escalation in that space. And so straight away, we didn't really hear much. And then a few days later, the MOD were sending out emails and messages to soldiers in the British Army warning them against going. And this came after it was rumoured that actually serving British soldiers might go out there. So every single soldier received this email that we got hold of telling them that they could face prosecution if they went out there. Something the Armed Forces Minister, James Heapy, explained to Sky News. The army has put out a statement overnight to say this. It is illegal for a British service person to, uh, well, first of all, to go absent without leave in the first place, but to go absent without leave in order to fight in a foreign war is simply unacceptable and frankly risks the United Kingdom um, being wrongly claimed by Russia to be a belligerent in this. 
And after that, Leo Doherty, the veterans minister, also sent a letter out to veterans charities because he was concerned that veterans organisations might be getting together and might be helping people to go out there to fight. And so he too warned that they could be prosecuted when they came back. I'm not sure what the likelihood is of people actually being prosecuted upon their return, but it does seem that the threat is out there. In terms then of the government response, so we've mentioned Liz Truss and her comments that seemed to sort of nudge people that wanted to hear them in the direction of fighting. That was, of course, followed by a kind of step back from the government. Talk us through the kind of political side of this and how that's played out so far. There's obviously been mixed messages from Liz Truss and Ben Wallace. Shortly after Liz Truss made her comments, we then heard from Ben Wallace, who was basically made clear that Their travel advice to the Foreign Office is not to go to Ukraine, you'll put yourself in harm's way. If people are determined to do that, my advice to them is there are many ways to help Ukraine. And so there was clearly a strong difference of opinion on that. And we've not really heard that much from Liz Truss after her original statement. So I'm sure she'll be feeling probably a bit silly that she's caused such chaos, really, because it's been a crisis in the MOD trying to stop serving people head out there. It's been a problem more generally with veterans going out there and the fact that the British rules would enable them to be prosecuted when they return. And I think those mixed messages have probably infuriated some of her colleagues like Ben Wallace, who then has to try and get a handle on it to try and make sure that actually loads of people don't end up going out there and the conflict doesn't end up being escalated to the point that Russia decides that, well, actually, if Britain's sending loads of its fighters here, then we should be able to strike back in some way, which could be, you know, cyber operation or something even graver. Mm. That rumour of British soldiers wanting to go and fight is notable. Does that give away from the people that you speak to, the sources that you have, the WhatsApp groups that you're in? Is, does that give away a feeling that the British military, whether it be officers or rank and file or whoever, are kind of itching, they feel like they should be doing more? I think from people that I'm speaking to, they do feel like they could do more. So the headline is Queen's Guard AWOL to fight Vlad. They're reporting the Sun that a 19-year-old Coldstream guardsman has abandoned his post to help fight Russia in Ukraine. He's said to have quit his barracks in Windsor. He's left a note for his parents. He booked a one-way ticket to Eastern Europe and he apparently is there already. I think they're probably a bit frustrated that the British training troops had to leave Ukraine and now Ukraine is having to fight against Russia on its own. And I'm sure that a lot of trained soldiers will probably feel that their skills could be incredibly useful in this situation. We've already reported that a small number of serving soldiers have gone out to Ukraine which obviously the MOD has been extremely concerned about. And also there was actually a story that's emerged in the last couple of days about one of those soldiers, a 19-year-old who went to Ukraine, has now come back to Britain and has faced questioning over that. And so it will be interesting to see actually what happens to that individual and whether that will set a precedent for other people that have chosen to go out there. What do we know about the international response then? So we're talking about the UK here. Are there other so-called foreign legions? Are there a lot of people signing up and piling into Ukraine from around the world? The UK element's probably extremely small compared to everybody that's headed there across the world. Brian, a 25-year-old from Minnesota. This is Anatoly from Finland. Kavi, he goes by his military call sign tells us he is a Canadian. Thierry is a leading figure in France's Yellow Vest protest movement. These former Thai Air Force members are now political activists. Now they see a need for their services in Ukraine. 
I think it was um, a figure of about 20,000 that we originally told, 20,000 volunteers that basically had signed up after that initial call by President Zelensky for people to head to Ukraine to join this international legion. So it's an awful lot of people. And I actually spoke to a source on the ground there from the Ukrainian side who was saying that people had got in touch from all sorts of different European countries, but also places further afield. I think it was Mexico that was mentioned to me. So I think they're getting a huge amount of people obviously wanting to go and help. I've got an interpreter with me, my friend uh, Nikolai, who came out with me and I'm learning large amounts of Ukrainian instant immersion. So the language barrier is not a massive issue. And some of the guys speak um, broken English, which isn't too bad. Coming up, what has happened to people who have joined previous conflicts? But first, this is Oliver Moody, the Berlin correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks to the Stories of Our Times podcast, I've been able to bring you in-depth reports from the heart of Europe, from Angela Merkel's legacy to an investigation into how a former Third Reich official became one of the architects of modern Germany. This podcast only exists because of the subscribers to The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You mentioned one, one man who we're going to keep an eye on in terms of what happens to people if they get caught. 
when they come back to the UK and I suppose the consequences for those who have been fighting in Ukraine from the UK will depend on their, if I can use this word, their status, whether they are a volunteer or somebody who is a veteran or somebody who is a kind of a serving soldier. Do we understand what consequences are lined up in, in these different scenarios yet? There is still a lot of confusion in England as to whether it is legal or illegal to go out to Ukraine and actually partake in uniform warfare. If they're serving, then they could basically face at the extreme end a jail sentence because they've obviously deserted their military position and gone AWOL. So the consequences there could actually be really quite serious. In terms of if they're veterans, well, it might be quite hard to argue that prosecution, given that Liz Truss had said that she'd support people doing such things. But actually, when she originally said this, I did speak to a couple of people who were telling me that when they tried in previous years to go and join the fight, for example, last year in Afghanistan, so they wanted to fight against the Taliban and help the Afghan people, and uh, in another case when somebody wanted to go and help fight on behalf of the Kurds against ISIS, and they were both threatened with prosecution in those cases, one of them actually never ended up going to Afghanistan. There is that impending risk, as there was uh, in Iraq with the ISIS situation, that when you get back home you will be prosecuted under the Terrorism Act for partaking in a war against a state that is not an enemy of the United Kingdom, which at this present moment in time Russia is not. So I think if you then apply it to this, well, if the same rules applied, which they obviously can do, then they could actually end up you know, facing a judge, basically. So uh, I think we'll have to see. It's so interesting to hear about people who have perhaps done this in previous conflicts who are once again stepping up, as it were, and, I don't know, conducting their own unofficial tours of duty yeah. in these conflicts. Is, is that odd? That strikes me as fascinating that people would kind of do that and drift around from conflict to conflict. Some people, I mean, are probably feeling a bit bored after leaving the military. They were used to fighting in ferocious battles in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. And now they feel like they want to be useful and they sort of see these conflicts and it's clear that the UK is on a particular side and they think that they could actually put their skills to use. And they obviously feel a real desire to go out there and help. And I think part of it is purely just that whole sense of wanting to support somebody that you feel you know might be losing but should be on the winning side. And part of it's probably that they get a thrill out of it to some extent. Yeah. My sort of journalistic cynicism wants to ask this question as well, which is how many people are doing this for some sort of clout, for getting retweets or likes or shares on TikTok, the fact that this is such a social media war where footage is being soaked up by millions of people around the world. Is there a motivation there in that these people can almost become sort of war celebrities? I do think there is an element of that. I mean, some people that are going out there are posting lots of pictures and things on their social networking sites and of course they're getting a huge response from members of the public who are rightly you know saying how brave they are and things but I think some people that probably might have had potentially quite mundane lives before are now being elevated into this kind of celebrity in the sense that everybody knows who they are and everybody's watching their every move and waiting for the photographs to see what they are doing. So I think, you know, there will be that to some extent, but of course, it doesn't really detract from the point that they are actually on the front line helping Ukrainian forces to defeat, obviously, a, quite a formidable enemy. So they are, in every respect, risking their lives. 
You want a live artist strike? You got it. <laughs> Close. Yeah, okay, Nick? Yes. Come into me, mate. Art of Strails, because I'm in the room. So, now it's completely uh, hunkered down because the artillery is being walked in towards us. Um, just got a shower of shrapnel when we went out to uh, pick up some gear. However, they are targeting the bridge down in. Uh, just down the road. So my medical training today is probably going to be uh, practicing on real-life casualties in about 10 minutes. I suppose in comparative context, that's not necessarily how the British Army would operate, is it? That's not how they would, in inverted commas, seek glory in this sort of situation. No, not at all. You would have very stringent rules in place which would stop them posting anything at all on social media. And actually, the Ukrainians have been quite focused in the last few weeks on not publishing lots of information which might be able to help Russia, for example, if they post where they are, then it obviously could tell Russia where their positions are. And actually, there's been warnings going out in the last couple of days from the Ukrainian side, asking civilians not to post pictures and things because they're worried about that, giving Russia a sort of idea of what's going on in certain areas. Yeah, understood. Really interesting aspect to all of this, isn't it? The kind of online social media bit. We've mentioned soldiers and, and civilians who have left the UK to join other conflicts in the past. Have we got precedent then for how they are treated when they come back? We've kind of mentioned what punishments they may or may not face, but just kind of explain to us some of the benchmarks, I suppose, that have been laid down in the past. It's been a bit of a mixed bag, actually. Some people that have come back from fighting against ISIS have then faced prosecution. However, it's been quite hard to actually then actually convict them for these offences. Jim Matthews from Dalston has been one of the most high-profile YPG volunteer cases. The CPS took two years deciding to press charges and then dropped the case. So I think there's only been a handful, if not just one case, where somebody's actually been convicted for joining the Kurdish forces and fighting against ISIS. So I think it is actually quite tricky. But obviously, in the first place, you don't want to come back to the UK and then suddenly find yourself being charged with potential terror offences. In terms then of the longevity of this conflict, Shane Matthew, who we were talking about, the former sniper, has suggested that he doesn't expect to be there for all that long. I can't see this conflict lasting another month, so that, that's about as long as I'm planning on staying here. Um, the way that the Ukrainians are retaking ground now, it's, yeah, um, rapid. I don't think the Russians can sustain this for much longer. I think predicting that is probably next to impossible, but I just wonder if the enthusiasm at the start of a conflict for people to kind of sign up and go and fight will actually fade the longer this thing goes on for. Speaking to him a couple of times last week, he's obviously quite tired. He is moving around quite a lot. He is doing medical training and he's also helping with, you know, telling Ukrainian civilians who are now in the Territorial Defence Forces what to do in the event of them being shot at and how best to prepare for that. And I think as the days go by, obviously, he is getting more exhausted. But he also is pretty remarkable in the fact that he's so optimistic Every time I speak to him, he says that he's on the winning side and the Ukrainians are going to win and the Russian forces are basically useless. In comparison to other conflicts that I've been in, um, 
I was fighting insurgencies, so it wasn't defensive positions and constant artillery fire. It was um, patrols and combat. So this is very different. We're basically hunkering down while we're getting absolutely barraged and then fighting patrols going out into the city to scramble the Russians. He was telling me last week how he saw, as he was doing some training near Irpin, which is near Kiev, he saw a 12-man foot patrol full of Russians who were walking through Irpin. And he said that then, well, hell broke loose. The Ukrainians were firing at the at the Russians and they managed to kill a lot of them and the rest of them ran away. And he said that was just an example of how the Ukrainians are being able to, so far, actually push back those Russian forces and kill quite a lot of them. So he's very positive at the moment. And I suppose I wonder what he'll be like in a few weeks time as obviously the war goes on and on. Morale of the troops, um, I've got videos up on TikTok and Facebook. Um, it's, it's amazing, constantly singing, constantly happy. It's, yeah, like nothing I've ever seen. They're so upbeat and positive about everything, um, but then we are massively winning. The Russians are losing ground south and north. Um, which is just fantastic. At the moment, if you speak to the Ukrainian military and also, you know, the people that we know that are out on the ground there, I think there is a sense that so far, obviously, Russia haven't done as well as they expected. We were told that in the first 48 hours, Putin thought that he'd be able to take Kiev and some other major cities. So he had a very ambitious plan in place. And of course, now Kyiv is nowhere near being taken, even though Russian forces are obviously getting closer by the day. It's a very, very slow advance. And I think that as the weeks go by, you might have more of these sort of big attacks on, for example, military bases where there are lots of soldiers and where there could be British guys out on the ground. And I think that possibly will obviously impact on the morale of all these people that are out there trying to help Ukraine and on the Ukrainian armed forces. And I suppose we'll just have to see what happens. It really depends how much the Ukrainian forces are able to use all the weapons that have been given to them by the West, whether they're going to get more of these arms and whether the Russians are able to bring in all of these extra troops that they're trying to bring in from the Far East and also from countries like Syria. So I think it's a very moving picture and things could change just within the matter of days. We should finish by hearing from Shane. He's already been away for several weeks and has left his family behind. I am keeping in touch with my family. Uh, we talk most days if just a message, um, but I try and video call them just to say hello and let them know that everything's still okay out here. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald, and our guest today was the defence editor for The Times, Larissa Brown. You can read more of Larissa's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print when you pick up the paper. The producer today was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchill. If you have a story you think we should be covering, or an idea for a future episode, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email. The address is storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Hold up. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.